All right, we're going to be um, reading the entirety of the chapter this morning. 1 Peter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are uh, elect exiles in dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Benthia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, by who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by the various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in a praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe him and rejoice with joy and is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, in preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct." Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially, according to each one's needs, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news that was preached to you. you may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Glad to have you all here today. I'm going to ask if you would, as we begin, if we just go to the Lord, ask his blessing upon his word this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We praise you, Father, for the inheritance you've preserved for your children, an inheritance that does not fade away. It's incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven. And we look forward to the day when we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Father, this morning we pray to you, according to the text, our impartial Father. We say thank you for your plan of salvation, 
before the foundation of the world. You had a plan to redeem man. The redemption plan involved your only begotten son. And Father, this morning we praise you that his death has brought us life. And Father, in your long suffering, it is your desire that no one should perish. The reconciliation work that you began long ago through the work of your son still holds out hope for many today who are far from you. And I pray, Father, that as your word of truth is opened, as it goes forth today, that it would save souls. For, Father, your word says it has the power to save. Our prayer is that all here today might have everlasting life, which comes by knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ. Father, may it be that each one's life demonstrates faith and hope in you. May our lives reflect your son, Jesus. And may our lives demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit working mightily in us. And it's in the name of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, pray these things. Amen. Is your faith and hope in God? That's a question I'd like to put before you this morning. Is your faith and hope in God? Now, before you answer the question, I'd like to call you and invite you into the scriptures this morning to see what's behind the curtain, so to speak, of the question. Many of you here profess to be a Christian, followers of the way and the truth and the life. This man named Jesus. And I believe many of you would answer quickly the question in the affirmative and say, yes, my faith and hope are in God through Jesus Christ. The question is not one of my own making. The question is rooted in verse 21 of our text. You who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, here it is, so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. It's my prayer, church, that your faith and hope are in God. There are, there are three questions that I'd like to ask as an offshoot of the main question. Here's the first question. What, what is it really to say, I have faith and hope in God? What are we getting at there? And, and emphasis-wise, I'd like to, to really emphasize the in God part. What is it to say, I have faith and hope in God? Church, who is God? Who is God? According to the text, what has God done to lead you to the place of faith and hope in Him? Who is God? Just in the first epistle of Peter alone, we see in chapter 1, verse 3, that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is the Father of our Lord Jesus. He is our Heavenly Father. He is the Father to whom we pray, is He not? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. This is the Father that Paul says that we're to cry out, Abba, Father. He's our Father. We see also in chapter 1, verse 3, that this God that we serve is abundant in mercy. It's according to His abundant mercy that He has begotten us again into a living hope. 
We see in verse 5 in regard to this inheritance reserved in heaven who are kept by the power of God. We see God is powerful. God is our Father. He's abundant in mercy. He is powerful. He's able to keep his own. Isn't that good news? He's able to keep you. Paul writing to 2 Timothy. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God is powerful. He's able to keep you. That should provide you, if you are in Christ, a great sense of security, a great sense of hope. God is powerful enough to keep you. But we also see in chapter, chapter 2, verse 25, that God is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. No, you know, this is interesting because the Bible talks about an overseer being placed in his church, an overseer, bishop, an elder. But, but God himself is a shepherd and an overseer of your soul. We see that God in chapter 5, verse 6, says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. God is mighty. He's powerful. He's mighty. And we are to align ourselves under this God and follow his way. In church, we do these things not because... I said so, because this is what the word says. This is why. From our text today in chapter 1, 15 and 16, we see that God is holy. Right? Who is God? God is holy. He's holy. And we're going to see that's intended to mean something for those of us who are children of God. Be holy, for I am holy. But we see in verse 17 that this Father, this God that we call upon, He is impartial. He's no respecter of persons. What has God done? What is it to say I have faith and hope in God? Many things just in 1 Peter that describe who God is. But what has God done? 1 Peter 1, verse 2. God has elected you according to the foreknowledge. His foreknowledge. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's who this letter is written to. Pilgrims, the elect. God has elected you. When you think of God's election, you ought to think about his incredible love for you. He loves you. But we also see that he's begotten us again to a living hope. Verse 3. A living hope. Living hope. God's also called you unto himself. Chapter 1, verse 15. As he who called you is holy. Remember, this is written to a group of believers. He who called you, he's called you unto himself. 1 Peter 1, verse 20. God has foreordained the arrival of his son, listen to this, before the foundation of the world. God foreordained the arrival of his son before the foundation of the world. What's that tell us about this God we serve? It tells me something. Tells me this that God wasn't reactive to man's sin problem. God was proactive. God was thinking about it long before it really happened. He foreordained it was going to happen. 
the last part of verse 20 also tells us that God sent his son in these last times. Or he manifested, he made known his son in these last times. How did he make him known? God sent his son down here to earth. That's how he made him known. 1 Peter 1.21, we see that God has raised up Jesus from the dead. Resurrected him. Brought him back to life. The Bible says the core of the gospel essentially is that Christ died. He, he was buried. And three days later he was what? He was raised. That's the core of the gospel. God raised him. From the dead. We see in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. God has chosen you. If you are in Christ. This is good to know. He has chosen you. You are listen. You are a part of a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Designated his own special people. That you may. For what purpose? There, by the way. We got to catch this. There is a reason he has chosen us. There's a reason he has called us his own special people. Listen to the end of the verse. That you may do what? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the God we serve. We see 1 Peter 4 verse 10. God has poured out his manifold grace upon his children. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given you, if you are in Christ, you have been given one or more gifts. These gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ. And they are to be expressed in such a way that they represent, that they show this manifold grace of God put on display. This God we serve is a God of grace. And we see also in chapter 5, verse 6, he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In 5, verse 10 when we ask what else has God done, God has not only called you to himself, we saw earlier, but God in verse 10 has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And if you look at the immediate context of 1 Peter 1, you, you find sufficient evidence to place your faith and hope in God. It says, as he who called you is holy. Verse 15. Church, we serve a holy God. He's pure. James, remember from last week, James says that wisdom from above is what? First, pure. Wisdom from above is first, pure. Look at verse 17. And if you call on the Father... If you call on the Father, on God. There's an assumption right here in the text. As a child of God, maybe some of your translations read, since you call on the Father. As a child of God, a God who is holy by nature, there is an assumption that the child of God, this is a novel thing, listen to this. A child of God calls upon God. Is, is that a new idea? That a child of God is intended to call upon God. That's the idea presented here. It's confusing, in fact. We, we talked about confuse, confusing last week. When, when we are seeking, when we have this bitter envy and self-seeking stirring up in us, 
when we're operating in the way of the world, what's the result? Confusion in every evil thing. That's the result. It's confusing, church, for a child of God to go elsewhere for direction, to go elsewhere for counsel. He has called you to be holy because He is holy. Peter then describes the nature of the one whom we call upon. He says, this father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Now this tells us who God is. He's impartial. He shows no favoritism, no respect of persons. And it tells us what God is doing. He is judging each man's work. So we have this. He's impartial and he's a judge. He's impartial and he's a judge. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how this, how this gets applied in our lives in terms of thinking through judging. You know, for some of you, you, you have artwork, you have photography, you have different things. Maybe you've entered into a 4-H or you've entered into, um, I know the um, Home Education Conference has some different artwork and essay contests and, and, and these different things that you might submit something for a contest of some kind. And there's someone who, when they receive your work, someone is reading that. Someone's looking over that. Someone, or a group of someones, they are determining which one is the best. Aren't they? And they may give you blue ribbon. They may give you a first place. They may give you a good job, way to go. But you know, there are also judges. There are people who determine whether or not you get accepted into a college or a university, a particular program, have to meet a certain standard, a certain qualification. There are people, there are actual judges. In fact, I heard just of late, there's, there's judges who are overturning definition of marriage that a state has already had in place. And even but for a 28-day period, 20 period is what I'm hearing. They're overturning that definition. The state's already said this is the definition, one man, one woman. And yet there's a judge somewhere who overturns this from another state. The basis of our judgments. It's interesting to think about the basis of some of these judgments. But there are different situations we find ourselves in where we are being judged, where we are being put into situations where someone else is determining our state. There are human resources folks determining whether you get the job or not. The coach determines the five guys on the floor. Parents make judgments, make decisions for the family. Lord willing, the decisions flow out of the truth of the word. The boss determines whether or not that project was done well. Whether promotion happens, whether there's a pay raise. See, there there are many people judging the work that we do throughout our lives, are there not? Many people have input on how we're doing. I tend to receive immediate feedback when I'm blowing a whistle. I don't have to wait very long to get my feedback. It happens pretty quickly. See, they they judge you not upon your knowledge and understanding of the game per se, but on whether you're instrumental in helping their team win or lose. So here's how it works. A, A foul against the home team Judgment is heard. A foul against the other team, judgment is simply withheld. You see, I I say all that and give all those examples of, of, of instances where people are judging. To point out this about God. This God that I read about in the Bible. He's an impartial judge. He's an impartial judge. He's judging each man's work. Now, you might not like the fact that someone is judging your every work and elsewhere, every word, 
That might seem to you a bit overwhelming. I'd like to remind you of something, though, this morning from the Word. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you are a child of God, you belong to the Father. His electing love, His abundant grace is rich. And there is nothing, according to what I read in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, the end of it, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is able to separate you from the love of God. That's good news. Goes back to that God who keeps you by His power. The impartial God, this impartial Father that we're reading about, judges your every work. Not only is he holy, but we need to understand this. He is just as well. He will give you what you deserve. If you choose to walk your own way, if you choose to travel your own path, the path of your own desires, James 1.14. If you choose to walk contrary to what you know to be true in this word, and you make it a habit to continue doing so, living ungodly lives in the flesh, you will, according to the Bible, justly spend eternity in hell. However, that's the bad news. However, praise be to God that it doesn't have to be that way. Because the Bible also says if you choose to look to the sun, that picture there, remember? The Old Testament image of looking at the bronze serpent. Look to the sun and live. Trust him with your life. Live wholeheartedly according to God's will, God's revealed word then he justly will grant you everlasting life. Not because you've been a good young man. Not because you've been a spectacular young lady. But only because you have believed, I'm using the terms that are in John 1, 12, only because you have believed in Christ and received him as your Lord, as your Savior You are now covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. This lamb that we're going to talk about. Who redeemed us. You see, any righteous standing that you have in God is granted to you by grace. Through faith through the work of God's Son at the cross. And that peace with God that Romans 5.1 talks about, that peace with God only happens if you've been justified by God, if you've been declared not guilty, righteous, standing. So what is it to say I have faith and hope in God? It's to recognize who God is. He's holy, He's just, He's impartial, and what God has done He's begotten us, 1 Peter 1, 3. He's begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's granted to us an inheritance that is never going to fade away. And he's orchestrated salvation's plan from before the foundation of the world. He sent his son Jesus down here to earth. He worked through his son's life, his son's death. God raised him from the dead. God gave him glory. That's 1 Peter 1.21. Church, in light of who this God of the scriptures is, in light of all he's done, will you put your faith and hope in this God? He's trustworthy. He's true. His word is eternal. His power is unstoppable. His name is a strong tower. He's mighty. He's God alone. There are no other gods before him. 
That's the testimony of the scriptures. I'd like to ask a second question. As we think about placing our faith and our hope in God. What is your faith and hope rooted in? Now the previous question focused upon God. What is it to say that I have faith and hope in God? This question specifically is going to shine the light on the core of our salvation and points to the object of our faith and hope. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Name above all names. Beautiful Savior. Wonderful Lord. Who is this Jesus of the scriptures? First of all, it's important that you know he's God's son. Fully God, fully man. Paul says, mediator between God and man. John's gospel and first epistle of John tell us that you cannot be in Christ apart from the Father. Nor can you be drawn to the Father apart from the Son. They go together. He's God's son. A lot of people today want to make him out to be someone other than God's son. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is also our redeemer, we see here in the text. In 18 and 19, 1 Peter 1. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, God's son, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was with God in the beginning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah says. In fact, we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 that he was manifest in these last times for you. He was manifest. He was God with us. He was, as John chapter 1 says, he was tabernacling among men. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God's son, Jesus Jesus is the bread of life, John 6. He's the light of the world, John 8. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's the door or the gate through whom all must, must, must enter if they would have everlasting life. He's the resurrection and the life. In fact, it says in chapter 11, 25 and 26 that he who believes in Jesus, though he may die. Last I checked, all of us are going to die at some point. He who believes in Jesus, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. Never die. Yes, this body is going to go. It's going to go. This body is going to go. But we're not ever going to die if we are in Christ, if we believe in him. We have everlasting life. And that everlasting life is now. It's for now. But no doubt it's for when this body is gone. It's, it's for later as well and for all of eternity. That's why it's called everlasting. Church, this is so exciting to see these things in the scripture. This is good News. He's the way and the truth and the life. One of those statements in the scripture that a lot of people today don't like. They don't want to touch that verse. John 14, 6. He's also the vine in whom we must abide. In whom we must abide if we're going to bear any fruit for him. He's our atoning sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 says that he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this to judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. His sacrifice completely, sufficiently, fully atoned for your sins, past, present, future. I know that may be hard to understand, but by faith we receive and accept that it is true. Christ atoned in himself at the cross. And the fact that God the Father raised him three days later, we now have life because of Christ. Closely connected, he is our Passover lamb. God spoke to his people in Egypt. He gave them specific instructions about every man taking a lamb unto himself. A lamb for the household. Exodus chapter 12, you can read about this. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, verse 5 says. A lamb without blemish. That sounds a lot like what I read here in 1 Peter chapter 1. That we are redeemed, not with corruptible things, but we're redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish. There it is takes us back to this Passover time. The instruction was to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house. It says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Do you see the power of the blood? Do you see that, you see that the Bible, church, let's understand, that was back in Exodus. And, and all of the Bible is pointing us to this person named Jesus. This is wonderful. If you are in Christ, and we learned this from the Passover event, if you're in Christ, his blood covers you. And there's two terms there that come out of the Passover event that, that I think are important here. Deliverance. Remember, he delivered his people from Egyptian slavery, bondage. Deliverance and freedom. Deliverance and freedom. Church, you have been delivered. If you have Christ, you've been delivered from an old way of living. You've been delivered from your old pattern of sinful living, habits, old man, and you have been freed up to walk in newness of life because of what Christ did. He's our substitute. People don't want to talk about this either today. Christ being a substitute. They want to talk about that. Christ is our substitute. According to this Bible that God has given to us, Christ is our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be, do you get that? God made him, this is Jesus, his son, his only begotten son. He was going to be the one to be our sin bearer. He took our sin on himself at the cross. He was our substitute. 1 Peter, in fact, gives us a little bit more of this in chapter 2, verse 20 to 24 who himself bore our sins in his own body. He took ours upon himself. That we, listen, this is good, this is, that we, there's a purpose for it, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Spiritual healing comes about only through what Christ did, church. He's our risen and exalted Lord. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Philippians 2 has this idea of God. He's, he's highly, God has highly exalted his name, Jesus that is. He highly exalted his name, given him the name which is above every name. There's one more thing I'd like you to know about Jesus, according to the scripture. That he's coming back. He's coming back. That's what the Bible says. He's coming again. In Titus chapter 2, I love these words. 
talks about how we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed what? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That he might, here's the word, he might what? Redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. There's the first Peter chapter 2, verse 9 idea again. Chosen generation. His own chosen special people, zealous for good works. What is it to have faith and hope in this God that we serve? And what is this faith and hope rooted in? And perhaps the question could be rearranged. Who is this faith and hope rooted in? It's in the person of Jesus. But there's one final important question as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a question really in many ways is an application of what we're talking about here. What difference does it make to place your faith and hope in God? What difference does it make? There may be a lot of facts here. A lot of interesting information. Maybe that's the way you're you're, you're receiving some of it. And maybe you're thinking, well, what difference does this make? The Bible actually shows us and gives us the difference that it's intended to make. Some of you might want to know, how does this get translated? What's it supposed to look like? I believe the text offers helpful markers for the one who places his faith and hope in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the markers show this child of God how to live here on earth as a, as Peter would say it, a sojourner, a pilgrim. Right? A sojourner and a pilgrim. Someone who's just traveling by. We're, we're here but for a moment. But our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? That's, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3. The life that you live in Christ is intended to make a difference. Is it not? Is that true? The life that you have in Christ, is that intended to make a difference to those in your household, to those around you, in your community, wherever you live, wherever you may be going, your sphere of influence? Something unique and distinct will be evident in the life of the one. Here it is. What makes you different? There's a difference maker that makes you different. Did you know that? The difference maker is the spirit of God in you. He's the one who makes you different. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does he work? Well, if we go back like we did with God and with Jesus, we see that He too was with God in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. Remember that? The Spirit of God was there in the beginning. In fact, the Spirit of God is also talked about in terms of this idea. Wisdom is personified and looked at in in Proverbs. You might recall that chapter. I believe it's chapter 8. Looking back at the time, he was there. He was there with God. Spirit was there. Acts chapter 5 Ananias and Sapphira, when Peter is speaking, he likens the Holy Spirit to whom? God. Spirit is God. We also see in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he is the co-author of the scriptures that we have before us. Right? 2 Peter. In fact, we just flip a page and we can read it. It's worth reading. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, there are some people today who don't believe a word that's in this Bible because they think a bunch of men wrote it. They're partly correct. Partly. There are holy men who were moved by whom? The Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these words exactly how God wanted them to be written. The Holy Spirit is another counselor or helper promised by God, given by Jesus. Read John 14, 15, and 16. The Holy Spirit is our greatest teacher. He's our greatest teacher. He's our greatest counselor. You know what? There are a lot of people today looking for answers to different problems that they might have. I'm going to put this out here because it needs to be spoken. The Holy Spirit, who is our greatest teacher, he is the other counselor that Jesus spoke of. 
the counselor, that word, helper, has in mind one who come alongside of. You know, there are a lot of people, and I'm afraid that there are children of God, people who are Christians, who are so quick, so quick to go and look for their answers in places where they ought not be looking. At least immediately they ought not be looking this way. Because I read in the Bible that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Romans 5, 5 says. We, oftentimes, discount the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If he is our greatest teacher and our greatest resource, why is it that we so often fail to listen to the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit. And I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there are two groups of people probably. There's a group of people that, that oh, you're, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. Ooh, don't say Holy Spirit. Oh. And then there's a group of people over here who are, you know, everything's Holy Spirit. Every, everything's Holy Spirit. No, let, let's, let's be clear to make sure we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, the role of God, the role of Jesus. The Bible, I believe, gives us some definitions, some, some functions of each, how they operate in our lives. They don't operate disconnected from one to the other. The Holy Spirit is our channel for understanding God's wisdom, Corinthians chapter 2. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting? If you do not have the Spirit of God in you, the Bible says in that same passage of Scripture that you cannot discern the things of God because you don't have the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God helps you discern the things of God. So why is it that so many people are doing all these bad, sinful things? You know, I had somebody stop by. I was in my car the other day, this past week. I was getting ready to pull out. I was writing some things down before I headed out. And there was an old, old lady that came up and she came right in my driveway. I'm sitting here, I'm scared to tar. I mean, I, I'm looking at my rearview mirror. I saw somebody coming. And I rolled my window down, and she was there. I ended up looking. There was a car behind me. I'm glad I didn't pull out and back into him. And she handed me a, a little pamphlet, and she wanted to let me know that she was with, you know, a, a certain group of folks. And, and there was a question on there that they were going to be addressing at this seminar coming up. And wanted to invite me and, and just let me know about it. And, and, and she turned the page and showed me this man, Jesus, on there. And she said, we, we believe in Jesus I said, oh, I said, I said, that's good. I said, you know, he is the way and the truth and life, isn't he? And she said, yes, he is. We had a common, there was at least a common ground there on that, that particular point. And so she, she left, she went on. And, and, and it was one of those things where we, we, we think that we talk about this whole idea of understanding God and knowing the things of God. And I think that there are times when we talk to people and, and situations that arise where they're not seeming to get it. They're not seeming, the light's not on. There's a reason the light's not on. They have not the Spirit of God in them. Church, it's important to understand, the Holy Spirit is never going to direct you away and turn you away from the truth that's in His Word. If someone is teaching you and putting something in your hand and you be gracious, right, and you can speak truth as the Lord enables you to speak truth in love, But don't buy for a minute what the world is trying to sell you, what other people perhaps are trying to sell you from something that's apart from the truth of God's word. The Spirit enables us. He enables us to walk in newness of life. The Spirit is the seal of promise, according to Ephesians 1, the guarantee of our inheritance to come. Praise the Lord for that. He's the guarantee, the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance. If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are, according to the Bible, a child of God. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are not, according to the Bible, a child of God. The Spirit of God always points the child of God to the words of Christ. John 14, 15, 16. The Spirit of God opens our minds to understand the Scriptures. Remember Jesus, the end of Luke's Gospel? 
He, he came in among them and he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus did that, but there's, for us now, Jesus is gone and he has, the, the, the Acts 2, the spirit came down. And for those of us now who have Christ, we have the spirit of Christ abiding in us and the spirit opens our mind to understand the scriptures. The spirit, think about it. He is the one who, who wrote the, the, the co-author of the scriptures and so he's helping us understand his word. He's our great teacher. He helps us pray, in fact, to the Father when we don't know what to say. He produces his fruit in us. Praise the Lord, amen, he produces his fruit in us. That fruit called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When you see that evident in the life of an individual, that's not because they're just a nice individual. That is a marker, that is a characteristic of the Spirit of Christ working in them. And by the way, for those who are not yet in Christ, the Holy Spirit has, has a ministry that convicts the world of sin. There may be some of you here today and you're outside of Christ. You don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to convict the world of sin. To open their understanding, their eyes, that they are bankrupt. They are needy. They are in need of being poor of spirit. As of, I'm thinking of Matthew 5 verse 3. They can't do it. Maybe you're at that point where you're, you're realizing things. You can't do this. You're at the end of yourself. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of some of these things. And what is he convicting you of? It may be sin, but yes, but what is he also drawing you to? He's drawing you to Christ. He's drawing you to the Father. He's drawing you to the things of God. That's also his work. What difference does it make to place your faith and hope in God? The Spirit of God, coupled with the Word of God, serves as our guide for pleasing God. Anybody here want to please God? You want to please God with your life? I hope so, okay? I hope we all want to please God with our lives. The Spirit will always only point you to Christ. You can just put that in the bank. He's going to do that. He will never change in this. This is nature. Praise God for the pouring out of the promised Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as a child of God, then, we think about and look at these in 1 Peter chapter 1, these responsibilities given to us. You know, verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins. You know, it's the whole idea. We think of the picture of, you know, they had the robes. And if someone was going to do some running, they, was going to, they had to pull up their robes before they could take off running. Get them belt tied on tightly. Pull the robe up, gird up the loins of your mind. Mind. What's it say? Be sober. Or some of your translations might have be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. Well, we know that one who is in Christ, and he's speaking to the pilgrims, the elect. These are people who are supposed to have self-control. Be self-controlled. Be who you're supposed to be. That's the message. These are imperatives, by the way. These aren't options. This is the way we're to be if we're in Christ, if we're going to call on the Father. Rest your hope fully, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, verse 10 of chapter 1 says, the salvation that God has orchestrated, the prophets inquired and they searched carefully. Who prophesied, what did they prophesy of? The grace that would come to you. This grace that would come to you. And so here he's talking about rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ. And as obedient children. Really the better rendering here is children of obedience. It might not seem like a big deal. But when we talk about children and a father, children of obedience... You know, the, the obedience is sort of the parent. God being our father, we are children of obedience. We are to, this is talking about specifically what we're to be doing. It's who we are intended to be. We are to be children of obedience. So to walk in disobedience, what's that mean? That's not good, is it? 
That's not the way he would have us walk. Children of obedience. That is the intended way we walk. And the Spirit helps us walk pleasing to the Lord, does he not? Conduct yourselves, goes on to say, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In fear. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. We're not here for very long. But Peter telling us how we're, to, how we're to conduct ourselves here. While we're here, the whole time we're here, as a believer, how do we do it? Fear the Lord. We've got to remember that the spirit and the flesh are at war, right? The old man wanting to make himself known again. And the spirit is about honoring Christ and pointing you to the things of God. Look at 17 through 21. We're just about done. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing, knowing that you are not redeemed. This is something a believer knows. The believer knows these things. Knowing what? Knowing that you are not redeemed our, our, our relationship, there's a relationship between our living in fear of the Lord, operating foundationally, fear of the Lord in all of our life, during the entirety of our stay here. And the connection there between that and what God has done through Jesus. Knowing that you are not redeemed. That's where he goes next. Operate, conduct the time that you have here in fear. Knowing what? Knowing you weren't redeemed with incorruptible things like silver or gold, things that, that, that are going to perish. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That church ought to be then the motivation, the compelling motivation, as Paul says, to live for Jesus all my days. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for you, for you. I want you to just keep reading that, for you. He was manifest in these last times for you. Peter's writing to, to th these, these folks who are scattered, going through persecution, elect pilgrims. But church, it's also true. He was manifest for you, for you, for me. He was manifested for you and for me, for your sin. For my sin. You who through him believe in God. One note's important to bring out here. You remember a few weeks ago we talked in James chapter 2. And James there is talking about faith working together with works. Remember that? And remember in that particular passage of scripture he says that the demons, even the demons believe in God. Remember that? And it says they tremble. So James bringing that up was saying a couple things. He was saying, first of all, if all you do is believe in God, you're doing nothing more than the demons do. You have a demonic faith. Welcome. Congratulations. He says something even more than that. He says that the demons in believing in God, they took action on what they believed. They trembled. I believe James puts that forward to point out to the believer the demons are even acting on what they believe. We too have to act on what we believe. And look at the text. You through him believe in God. Peter is telling us your belief in God is not just some, I believe, some, some idea. I believe in God through Jesus Christ, through him. That's Christ. This God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. And then we arrive at that last clause, that last phrase, verse 21. Purpose clause, result clause. God raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that. 
So that what? So that your faith and hope are in God. Church, do you see the importance of what God did? Do you see the importance of the resurrection? The resurrection is not only a core of of the faith that we hold to. We think about Christianity. We think about Christ and his death on the cross. And we think about the empty tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead. Those are core components of this faith that we hold to. But church, I want to leave you with, there's a reason God did what he did. He didn't do what he did just so that we could say, Christ died on the cross for my sins. And three days later, he was raised. There are many of us in here today who can recite that information Church, God did not raise up his son so you could just spit back information. He raised up his son. In fact, Romans chapter 4 says that it was because of our offenses that he died. It was because of our justification that he was raised. That is good news for all of us in Christ. And that good news ought to compel us to live our lives, not for ourselves now, but to live ourselves, live our lives for this God who through Christ raised him from the dead, walk in newness of life. There is intended to be a result from what God did in raising up his son and giving him glory. Because you know what, church? There's going to be a day when you die. If you are in Christ and you have the guarantee, the deposit in you, the Holy Spirit in you, the day you die, you get to be present with the Lord. Amen? present with the Lord, and you too are going to be what? Guess what? You're going to be raised with Christ. In fact, positionally, just a little asterisk. Ephesians says that we are already positionally seated with him in the heavenlies. Amen. I praise the Lord for his word. And I ask the question one more time, church. Is your faith and hope in God? Do you know this God of the scriptures? Do you know this Jesus of the scriptures? Do you know this person of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures? Because if you do, if you know him... And the Bible speaks when it says no. It has in mind, not, oh yeah, I know of him. No relationship know him if you know him you too will be raised you too will have glory and I see as a result what Peter writes for those who believe in God through Christ your faith and hope are in God and God alone is your faith and hope in God church We call ourselves hope in Christ. I hope that's not just a name that we wear. But I hope it's a life that we live for all to see. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for who you are. Holy, just, impartial God. Good God. I thank you for your son whom you sent to tabernacle here for a while among men. He lived, he died on a cross taking upon himself in his flesh our sin. He died, he was buried. Three days later, According to the scriptures, he was raised. He was raised by you through the power of the Spirit. Father, it's because of that. It's because who Jesus is, because of what he has done and accomplished that we have opportunity today 
to not only live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, but we also have opportunity to live here as pilgrims, as sojourners, as people just traveling through because our home is in heaven. Our home is the arrival, the looking forward to our time being with Jesus. So, Father, I pray that even now we would be about practicing what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. Help us to have a pilgrim sojourner mindset here. Help us to understand that even as a citizen of these United States of America, we are most importantly citizens of heaven. And may we be about practicing what that looks like to be a citizen of heaven here on earth. Father, I pray for this church. Pray for each one that their hope, that their faith is rooted and grounded in God through Jesus Christ. And that having that foundation, that there would then be a life that is lived out in such a way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Evident to all. Our time is short. Or our time is drawing near. The time is at hand. And Father, I pray that we would take these words of yours very seriously. That we would walk. That we would be sober-minded, steadfast in these words of truth that you've given to us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, our perfect lamb, spotless, stainless lamb, serving as our substitute. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.